Episode 11, episode 11, episode 11, episode tis the season. Episode 11, episode 11, episode 11. La 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 la. Tis the season, it's always the real thing. Episode 11, episode 11, it's the Luke and Pete show. How are you doing? It's Luke and Pete's episode. What, Luke? Episode eleven. Holy moly! We made it episode eleven. That's like that's like a sentence, isn't it? Most um, most Netflix series get to thirteen episodes. Our listeners will be quaking. What's going to happen <laughs> post thirteen? What's going to happen no after thirteen? Knows. We don't know. I watched a lot of uh, Rick and Morty recently, and something that Jim Campbell would bleat on about. Friend of uh, Luke and Pete, short, I guess. I've never seen uh, it. <laughs> it's very honestly. It's very good and way funnier than you think it might be uh, for a cartoon. Well, good. Very funny. You, you are. You I mean you brought it's, in? It's, Bob- my, it's my. It's my new thing. It's my new Simpsons. I've been doing that. You brought in Bob's Burgers a while back. Bob's Burgers. It's funnier than Bob's Burgers, which is incredible. So I think a lot of our listeners to all the various. Um, uh, Parts, Wait, parts they of, can take me. Parts, parts of our canon uh, <laughs> would think of you as probably more of a cartoon character than they would me. <laughs> wouldn't they? They would, wouldn't they? they would, I, so I guess so, yeah, it yeah, fits. yeah. It fits. <laughs> if, the, if the cap fits, wear it, mate. <laughs> Although you look odd wearing caps because your forehead area, the mass, is very, very large. Well, I mean, to be honest, all of the people, most of the people I work with uh, have pretty good heads of hair. But me... Mine's not going anywhere, but it's it's looked pretty bad for quite a while anyway. So. <laughs> Do you remember, Pete, when years and years ago when we worked together, we started working together, I casually threw out there, I didn't realise the offence it would cause, that you've got a shaved head because you can't grow hair properly. Yeah. And then you embarked on like a six-month mission to grow your hair because of that. It was like the Moppetop hair shop. I, I just put my <laughs> thumb in my mouth and tried to blow it out of my head. It, was, it wasn't actually you, Luke. It was actually the wife of uh, Blue Peter presenter, uh, some might say... Uh, who left under a cloud, uh, Richard Bacon, who actually said it, and I went, no, I can grow hair. Sure, okay. Can you? I went, right. Oh, okay. So you were got, a contributing oh, factor, maybe. You're my, you're more high-profile high friend. Exactly. It? But I think, like, the way I would look at that is, I mean, for example, there are many events that led up to the First World War. <laughs> One of them has to be the Archduke Franz Ferdinand assassination. Yeah. I, I thought my comment might have been that. It sounds to me, though, that I'm destined to forever be a footnote in your life and I, never a major player. I think my hairstyle at the moment is very much World War II, let's <laughs> say. So that is true, more, yeah. More Hitler's rise to chancellorship, yeah. I think that's okay. probably how, how we'd sort of go. What have you been doing this week? I've got a press me button, haven't I? Oh, yeah. I always forget. It's been... Again! Well, the problem is the thing's too loud... This and is, this is too quiet. This is tedious for listeners, so I'm not going to make a big thing of this, but what I will say this week is, if yeah. you don't mind me saying, mm. you did actually make me wait so you got those levels right in advance. There are so many different work. levels. It's two microphones, it's a hotkey, you've got YouTube as well later on. It's been... What have you been doing this week, Luke? Talk to me about PFLs. Pre-fitting levels. Yeah. What yeah, do, they, do, were, they were all right at the start, but things change, don't they, Luke? Tell the listeners what they are. Uh, it's uh, you can listen to something off air so the listener can't hear it but you can check how loud something's going to be or what it is whether it's got square words in it and stuff for the radio um, so when you've got that station. button lit up it means you're on PFL and you're fine yeah so I can so if I press PFL now you, you, we're just recording and everyone can hear everything that yeah. we're saying but they can't hear me going 
You can a oh, little yeah. bit through my headphones, maybe. Okay, yeah. Bit of headphone bleed. Yeah, I can hear that. So only I could hear that. And okay. also, someone's got split monitoring on, and I think it might be the <laughs> DJ Chris Martin, not the guy from Coldplay, but we've got a DJ called Chris Martin. He loves a bit of split monitoring because he can actually mix, I think. So he likes one feed in one ear and one feed in the other, but I can handle that's it. That's top level stuff. That's high level, that is. Yeah. That's, top, that's top stuff. I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to be interested in that. Although <laughs> no. I, I was. Um, right, you asked me what I've been up to. I'll tell you what I've bloody well been up to. What? Um, I have been to Cornwall. Right. I was in Cornwall last week. The um, nation's shoe. Yes, if you like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The nation's shoe. Um, I was in Tintagel and Boss Castle. Where? Very Tintagel. These, these are news. These, these are places I've never heard of. Well, you would have had a Tintagel when I tell you and remind you that uh, that's what, the place where uh, King Arthur, the mythical legend of King Arthur, was Got his conceived. Out. <laughs> no, he was <laughs> he was conceived there. Apparently, legend well, may have well, it. Well, Todgels were involved then. It's a great castle in Tintagel. Um, <laughs> it's very Game of Thrones. You're making this up? I'm not. I'm not. It's great. It's a great castle in Tintagel. And, and um, but I was staying in Boss Castle, and the reason I'm bringing that to the table this week is mm. not only because it's a great part of the world. And not because it absolutely pissed it down the whole time I was there, <laughs> uh, making it genuinely difficult to go outside. Yeah, um, and we were there for my wife's birthday weekend as well, which made it worse. But anyway, no, no hill walking for you. Lovely. No, I still did some. Okay, still right. did some. Um, but there is a museum there which is fantastic. And I know how much you love a little weird sort of esoteric museum, mm. Pete, and hopefully our listeners do too. There's the Museum of Witchcraft and Magic there. Okay, it's only a fiver. Uh, it's That's quite pricey. For right, right in Boss Castle Harbour. So it's, it's a very picturesque harbour. You might remember it in 2004, it flooded really badly. Right. Um, that would probably be the only reason people would know where Boss Castle is. But anyway, it's a beautiful natural harbour. And in 2008, they drowned a witch there. Oh, mate, <laughs> because well, this, it's Cornwall. Well, you say that. What? Well, that's, that's, I'm distancing myself from that particular <laughs> comment. But you say that. But um, this Museum of Witchcraft and Magic um, was founded by a guy called Cecil Williamson. Who was just this? He was just interested in the occult, and mm. he, he's actually the founder of Wiccan. You know the religion Wiccan. Oh, is he? Yeah, really. Um, wow. Yeah, the neo pagan religion. That's pretty big, isn't it? Yeah, and he was a, sort of a witch himself, and he, all this different stuff used to go on. Uh, he's also a contemporary of Alistair Crowley. You remember yes. him? Alistair Crowley, famous occultist. Um, and it was a, it was a fascinating museum for a couple of reasons. One because it's very small, and it's almost in this very old. Um, thatched cottage type house where mm. someone of my height has to stumble through it and mm. duck down knock it over joss sticks yeah, right yeah, yeah. set but in front of a thatch but it's actually quite a nicely laid out museum and, and mm. interesting enough the, the guest house I was staying in I was, we were having breakfast and this other couple were there and the guy who was there um, he curates one of the one of the fairly well respected museums in London I forget which one and he said he had come down partly to check out the layout of the Museum of Witchcraft and, and Magic in Boscastle because it's exceptionally well laid out how do you lay out well, how, can, how do you translate a small collection into you know the Tate it's not a small collection I think it's just right. it's, it's just very well I, th- I think there's probably I'm reading between the lines but it's probably like an art to how you lay out a museum oh. and they were saying these guys are particularly good at it anyway Cecil uh, Williamson I almost Cecil Museum then <laughs> very good at museum layout how did you know you were going to be a museum creator well it's in the name Cecil Museum yeah. layout Cecil Museum who all museums are named after he, um, <laughs> so he found this museum and he, he died a few years ago but it's, it's a fascinating sort of journey into the, the sort of how you can imagine people started to believe that sort of stuff because people didn't necessarily back 200 years ago understand an awful lot about the world shall we say compared to now mm. and you can see how I that's mean, all what, manifested what stuff. I would say is that in 2017 the flat earthers are back the chemtrail people are back yeah. everyone's gone a bit mad true we're looking for uh, for solutions and we're looking for problems that before didn't we didn't have a problem with flat earthers no they sort of disappeared we thought that battle was won yeah <laughs> <It's> <laughs> we, thought we thought we got it one. we brought it on the wall we went yeah, yeah f- f- earth not flat 
then that basketball player came out and said it, and then everyone <laughs> oh, yeah. said it, didn't they? Rappers. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, but this, this, this museum is great. I would recommend it. It's fantastic. Lots of different... Um, one of the particular highlights for me is because it's not only a, um, a, a museum dedicated to sort of witchcraft and magic, it's also got a bit of the occult and a bit of the mm. sort of sort of satanic stuff and all that sort of thing. And in the corner of one of the rooms upstairs is a life-size, I guess, sort of a man-size goat. You know, not like, you know, <laughs> Hello. Like, you know there's like a big um, sort Pick of... my interest. ...link between goats and... and yes, they yeah, 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 that sort of stuff. So it's got cloven hooves and it's got a big cloak on mm. and um, and it's got um, a goat's head with big, big horns and stuff. And I was there, and there was not hardly anyone else in the museum, and I was there looking at, looking at the goat, and I thought, oh, I wonder if that's like a full-size mannequin. So I lifted up its cloak... No, no joke, and I've got a video of this. No joke. The the, the legs stopped at the knee, but obviously the cloak covered it. <laughs> Gigantic wooden penis under the cloak <laughs> that no one's ever going to see apart well, from me. Massive. Maybe they would lure you in. This is the secret of the museum layout. Get how you I, interested. That's how I became a Satanist. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Your good lady wife turns on the corner. You're, you're, <laughs> no. you're, you've got your mouth around a wooden no, penis. No, that's what? not what happened. You've, what? You've, you've taken that and run with it. But I was <laughs> so in, you, I hope you didn't. I was so interested in the museum that I looked up Cecil Williamson, which is how I found out all this stuff about him. And one thing that I did find particularly interesting is because him and Alistair Crowley and a few of the other uh, contemporaries, they were recruited by MI6 in World War Two. Because they, the government, the British government, were convinced that um, Goebbels and a load of the others, Goebbels, I think he was in charge of propaganda for the right. Nazis, and a load of the others were starting to try to use occultism and fortune-telling and astrology and stuff ah. to, to get an advantage in the war. And the government were like, no stone on turn, we want to check this. And so they mm. recruited them as like spies and stuff. I mean, uh, wasn't... Roald Dahl a spy? He was yeah. like all these, all these kind of like quite well-known people. I think people. he was recruited at Cambridge. Alistair yeah. Crowley, I think, was Cambridge educated. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed recently about that sort of stuff is, you're right about Roald Dahl, um, I don't know if there's a man at all of a certain age that wasn't a spy in World War II. <laughs> oh, isn't anyone who's not on their side a spy yeah, in, in, I, I in reality? So. Have you I been all day so. at France? Yeah, spy. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lower law style spy. But, but um, it was a beautiful part of the world. The great music, a great museum. I've stayed in a lovely guest house as well. I would name check it, but I can't remember what it's called. Oh, the old parsonage in Boss Castle. Very, very nice. This is all very quaint. I love a go- I, I much prefer a guest house to a hotel. Much prefer it. Uh, what's the difference? Well, a guest house is like you stay and it's, you get breakfast in the morning and it's like a someone's house. Yeah, I don't like to intrude. I stayed in one in, uh, I went to, um, Essex. I stayed over in Essex for the first time, which is very interesting. No, I went neither. to, you I went live to... in London. Why are you staying in Essex? <laughs> because my mate Al wanted to go somewhere new. Uh, actually, no, he didn't. That's the point. He wanted to go somewhere because his missus was out of, t- out of town. So I went, all right, I'll found us a place. Brighton was too expensive because it was pride, uh, so all the hotels were like 250 quid. Uh, but I found like this little room in a guest house in, um, in South End, so we had a little, little day in South End. It was lovely. Are you a man who spends <laughs> weekends away with your friends, even though you can easily both get home that night? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. I'm yeah. fairly sure you can get a train back from South End till about two in the morning. No, it's it's about it's about twelve. It's about it's about eight minutes past right, twelve. I didn't no, check. That's not good for you. <laughs> that's that's no, no good for, good for the me. Night Al Dawson. Um, to be honest, I lasted about one hour into the, a fresh day, and I was like, oh, I go to bed. This weather spoons is rubbish. Wow. Well, listen, you're you're, an, you're the only man <laughs> I know who lives in literally one of the cultural hubs of the world. <laughs> Out in South End for a weekend. Yeah. You went all the way down to Cornwall to go to a museum. How many museums have you got here? Cornwall's beautiful. (laughs) 
South End is not. To look at, to lift up Gort's skirts. That was part of it. That was a, <laughs> that was a symptom, not a cause. <laughs> I, uh, what have you been told, to? I probably told this uh, story before, but I was in Salem. Obviously got a big witch. Cool, yeah. Uh, kind of, Massachusetts? Yeah. yeah. Uh, was in Salem a, Pocus, a, a, good, a good ten years ago now, and I think I'd, I've probably told this story before on another podcast, but if I haven't, here you go. Uh, I was in a witch's uh, museum, like a, a museum of, of witchcraft and also like, you know, the, like the, the witch trials and stuff like that obviously took place around there. Murdered a lot of young women, sadly, but uh, in the um, in the gift shop, there was just lo- like there was just like loads and loads of books, obviously for sale and stuff. It was all about witchcraft and spells and how to cast spells, how to do this, how to do that, the history of witchcraft, um, warlocks, anything bit magical like that. So it was witches, warlocks, witches, warlocks, and then in the middle, there was a copy of the Diary of Anne Frank. Huh. Now I don't know what they're saying about Anne Frank. No. Or anything else. I'm not. Place. I didn't. Yeah, I just couldn't figure out why. In the middle of all these witches' books, there was the Diary of Anne Frank. Did you do that? Th- I think what might have happened is like you know when you see in, in uh, like in the newspaper or whatever, someone goes to like a gallery, mm. so they take modern. Oh, and accidentally leaves like, their, their glasses <laughs> oh, behind like a, by accident. And everyone starts taking photos of it. Oh right. Do you think it was like a neo-Nazi or something? Did it? No, I think someone probably just was reading the Diary of Anne Frank, <laughs> popped it in there, put, put it down, and forgot oh, it. It's a cheery day, isn't it? The Diary of Anne Frank and then the witch trials. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, Fantastic. making the connection. And that's unfair, I think. <laughs> what have you been up to, Peter? I'm, uh, pff, to be honest, this week, I've been. I'm, you know, I like my video games and stuff. I yeah. don't normally like those video games where you run around shooting people. I, I find that dull as dishwater. But I found one that I'm all right at. Go on then. It, it doesn't. Really, I mean, it's called Battlegrounds. What happens is you and 99 other people are on a plane, a cargo plane, and it flies over a, an island, like a Russian island, I suppose, because we've all got Russian names. I think it was made in Russia. Um, and they and you jump out all, all, at different times. You choose when you want to j- jump out. And you land uh, in all of these houses and stuff, because the environment's just dotted with houses and kind of like uh, they've got trucks around and stuff like that. And you, you're, you're completely nude. Well, not completely nude, but you've got pants on. Um, and <laughs> your job is to kill the other 99 Right. So you're the hundredth. You're the hundredth. So they have you to get a hundred real life players in the ones. Yes. So there's a hundred real life players on this island, and you've got to kick the merry shit out of everybody else. You give them weapons. You get well. You find weapons. That's the thing. So you start off with nothing, and you're just going around, just looting, just find, trying to find anything. Out of this. And, and and you know you go into this house, and you're like, is someone in hiding in the house? Is someone hiding in the house? It's giving me a bit of a complex. <laughs> yeah, it sounds. I mean, it's really stressful, and uh, to make the players move because you could just hide, like for the the time it takes for everyone else to kill each other. You could just hide, but what happens every two minutes? The circle that you're allowed in gets smaller and smaller, so then you convene on this very small patch of kind of island and, and kill each other. It's I mean, horrible. What, what, yeah, two points. One, it sounds like an amazing concept for a game. I have to give it that credit. <laughs> a, bit, quite, a bit like Battle Royale or something. Yeah, secondly, that's basically what it is. Secondly, civil, you know, civilization has descended. <laughs> that is horrific. To in me. that game, it is. But uh, yeah, and so you so have you have you survived gonna, yet? No, I got to the top ten. I'm really good with my fists. <laughs> what I do is everybody else is looting, and while they're looting, I just run up behind them and just take them in the head. Is it one of these? V- is it one of those VR go- goggles games? No, no, it's it's third person, pretty much. You're looking over the shoulder of the player. But uh, uh, what else I've been doing is uh, is uh, I've been on YouTube basically. I didn't okay. go to Cornwall. I didn't see the Gorty Devils Winky. I, um, I mean, you, you are welcome to join me, my wife, and call me at any time <laughs> you want. Uh, speaking of uh, that, that goat with his um, with his clock. Um, did you read that? Uh, no spoilers. Game of Thrones wise but did, did you say the costume designer um, basically announced that um, the big 
fluffy um, coats that John, John Snow wears. Yeah. Uh, John the, Snow. John Snow. Uh, I've seen the bastard. The bloody bastard. I've he, seen the Night King. <laughs> and if you don't join me, <laughs> we're all going to be dead. All of their cloaks, they're um, fluffy bath mats from Ikea. Are they? Yeah. Excellent. Which th- has ruined it for me, I think, I, no, I thought you were going to say they were horrifically farmed by from some like, <laughs> animal <laughs> farm or something no. where they kill people for their fur. No, Not it's... people, animals. <laughs> difference. There is a Goats. difference, I understand that. What did the goat tell you? <laughs> I can't repeat it. <laughs> animals are people. Yeah. Uh, but I've been on YouTube and I, I've been watching uh, a man... Break a record and one man explain how he broke a record. Well, before we move on to that, I, I, was, right. I was thinking about bringing up a bit of Game of Thrones um, next week because I need to catch up. So right. uh, maybe we'll, okay. we'll revisit that next week, perhaps. Okay, okay. Um, but well, you got you got some Guinness World Records to show me. Do I need to look at YouTube again? Yeah, you need to look at YouTube. Right. I've sent Apolog- you two links. Apologies for my mic skills and on this because I have to change position to watch these videos. <laughs> um, where is it again? Very slow. Well, oh, I yeah, just emailed yeah. them. You. Oh yeah, okay. Right, I just right. emailed you them. Should we, this yeah. one first. Uh, let's have that one first because it, okay. it makes me laugh. I'm going to hit play now. Yeah. All right, here we go. I'm looking at... Oh, okay. Highest vocal note. Yeah, Guinness so, World so, Records. So basically, this guy's on the Guinness World Records TV show in Australia, I think. To the show. <laughs> Sounds like Australia, mate. Adam, you're attempting to beat a Guinness World Record that you yourself actually set. Yes. Would you like to tell on. us what that is? Um, I sang the highest vocal note ever by a man. So um, it was a D7 which is the last D on the piano. So what I'm attempting tonight is to sing my D7 and hopefully try and beat it as well. So huh. it's a D7, so not Eminem's <coughs> Mates D12, but, but a musical... Not Eminem's Mates D12, he says there. That dates the clip a little bit, oh, doesn't right. it? yeah, it does look Shout about Eminem's D12. Um, I guess naturally, as part of my instrument, as, as part of working my instrument out, I work on my vocal range and um, dynamics and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it came naturally to me to just... Work on scales and I'm absolutely desperate to hear this. No, I mean, uh, describe no, what he looks no, like. I mean, he's, he's dressed in a dinner jacket, mate. He's got <laughs> t- his dinner jacket on. He looks very good. Looks yes. dressed like an opera singer. Mm. Um, it looks very Australian. Mm. There's a man behind as well uh, who I think is—he's the guy who sort of knows how high things are. Oh, he's, he's the Norris McWhirter. He's the Norris McWhirter of Australia. Uh, any okay. Guinness World Record attempt needs to be verified, or in this case, supervised by our adjudicator, Chris Sheedy. <laughs> Hello, Chris. Chris has got a shirt tucked into his jeans. Looks pretty casual. Which one is... uh, Is it Ross or Norris who got shot at the door by the IRA? Was it Ross? I'm sorry? (laughs) Ross McWhirter. I had a brother, Norris... No, I think Norris McWhirter was the old guy. Was the old guy on our... British uh, world records thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Ross McWhirter, I think, was shot at the door by the IRA. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, there you oh, go. Okay, fair enough. Little, little McWhirter fact there. Well, listen, the Australian Norris McWhirter just walked in. He's got a shirt casually tucked into his <laughs> jeans. It's a Guinness World Records shirt uh, logo on it. Yeah. Um, for all the musicians out there. That is four notes below Adam's current record. So once he gets four notes above the starting note, he will have hit his current Guinness World Record. Okay, so his fourth note, he'll equal the record. He will. And his fifth, fifth note, note's going to be higher. Right. So all right. anything above... D7. The thing I like about this, right, is I don't know if you, anyone out there listening remembers the Guinness World Records type shows. This is very similar, but just in Australia. They bring in the presentation award in their hand before the record takes place. Yeah, so it's and already so if you been printed out. Well, if you don't get it, if you don't make, break the record, smash you don't it up. get it. Yeah, you should be able to smash it up. Yeah, they should smash it up in your face. Or sing a, sing a note so high that it smashes the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the award. And Jim Bones should come in and go, look what you could have won. <laughs> right. 
There we go. Something about so we have this, so Jeremy here on set, who has perfect listening pitch, to tell us the final note that Jeremy's got perfect <laughs> listening pitch. All right, Jeremy. I think he's whistling. Ability in listening. The yeah, really. And Michael as well is going to be playing that keynote to get you started. That's so right. Are you okay? You ready to start? Oh, I think I'm ready. We'll let you finish. <laughs> They've brought in a full grand piano for this. I know. <coughs> to play one note. Mm. Here, we go. Here we go. All right. <coughs> Whoa. I can barely that hear is that. Unbelievable. That is unbelievable. I was not expecting that. How high is that? Very high. Well, it's the highest note ever. Yeah. I think he has another crack. <clears throat> not sure what that note was yet. What was that? F sharp. Nice, moved it up. For those of you listening to this, it is, uh, it is honestly a man doing this. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a, it sounds like um, some sort of um, like a dog whistle, like a synthesizer type setting. <laughs> but I also love the guy Jeremy who sits there when someone sings a note. He goes F sharp. <laughs> I love that skill. It's a great skill. That he must be murder. Like if you listen to the radio, That's C sharp, and it's off the piano. Yes, yes, yes he's done it. Pumps his fist. I might call the show this week. That's C sharp, and it's off the piano. <laughs> Excellent find, that. Uh, Enjoying it. What's this, just, oh. what's this other video we got well, here? The guy, uh, he's the one who's, who's got the lowest voice in the world, and he's horrible listen, uh, to listen to. Lowest he's, note he's ever sung. He's genuinely sung. disgusting. I don't like his voice at all. Okay, by way of counterbalance to the highest note ever. I'm just trying to imagine in my head how high I can... How high I can. I've got a feeling us trying to sing the highest notes we can might be terrible radio. <laughs> it might... Because I'm only a little boy, but I think I've got quite a deep voice at times. I think you could have been a choir boy back in the day, but let's, let's look at this guy in the, in the horrendous jumper. <laughs> this is from the 80s. Yeah. Here we go. Lowest note ever sung coming up. This guy sounds like the guy who used to do voiceovers for yeah. Hollywood trailers. No, it's deeper than that, though, isn't it? In like a, in a world, that guy, then, yeah, things to do in Denver. But he's like, when you're dead, yeah. Here we go. He's ready. Yeah, this time I will make my attempt for the Guinness record for the lowest note, and we will begin. Um, I will start out at a given pitch in my selection, and then go downward from there. I mean, apologies for the sound quality, but I mean, it's actually quite hard to pick up what he's saying, isn't it? You can't speak like this normally. Quite as impressive, isn't that one? <laughs> he looks like Stephen King. <laughs> he does. And dresses right. like himself. There's a bit at the end where they play out his uh, note in a, in a computer. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Watch right, that go. out. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like a raw. Sounds like a bloody raw, that does. That is not. That's horrible, that. <laughs> It's, it's not as nice as the other one. The other one was impressive, wasn't it? Much more impressive. Right. Anyway, hands off, hats off to both of them. 
I think the biggest metaphor for this, the first one, he's wearing a dinner jacket. Yeah. The second one, he's wearing a terrible jumper. He looks like he's just been woken up on, like, a Sunday afternoon after a roast. <laughs> yeah, he does a bit, yeah. Oh, That's sometimes what I sound like. Who's doing the washing up? <laughs> when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you reckon smoking actually helps him? Uh, no, it'd be too dry. There still needs to be some moisture in there. His um, vocal cords must be, like, rubber bands, like, really floppy. Right. Here we go. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. We'll both look after Luke. There we go. We'll both look after Luke. If he feels sad about mum and dad, we'll both look after Luke. Oi! There we go. <laughs> Your continuing complicated relationship with technology is, uh, is, 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 uh, is, is there for all to see. Do you want to do emails first or shall I? Let's do emails and let you do the emails. Well, I'll do the first one because this, is, right. this is harking back to an earlier one. Do you remember a um, couple of episodes or so ago we talked a bit about lions? You talked about a lion in the sewer... And in Birmingham, and some he other, escaped. Yeah, some other bits and pieces. Well, mm. This is from Matthew in London. He says, uh, Hi Luke and Pete, loving the podcasts. Um, quick question. If lions struggle to focus on chairs because they have four legs and it confuses them, this is something you mentioned before and we talked about how the reason a lion tamer uses a chair is mm. because there's four... Four points to sort of look at. And the lion gets confused yes. by it. Matthew asks, does this mean that if an antelope sat on its ass and pointed all four legs at the lion, the lion wouldn't know what to do? It's is an interesting saying, tactic. Is he saying that antelopes look like chairs? Well, are you saying I'm, there are four points of interest on an antelope? Well, if the antelope lied either on its side or on its sat down mm. and put its four hooves, yeah. talk about hooves again here, um, <laughs> into the face of the lion, the lion wouldn't know what to do. I mean, a, a risky tactic yeah, and one, the best of times. Good luck explaining that to an antelope. <laughs> but it's an interesting point, isn't it? Maybe that'll be their next evolutionary step. Yeah, they maybe. will look more and more like Ikea's finest chairs. And and you just have, instead of marauding across the savannah, you'll yeah. just see a load of them sat Creaking. there with their legs out. <laughs> That'd be odd, wouldn't it? It would look like a showroom. Rackin' buckin', rackin' buckin' forth. Rockin' back and forth. Rackin' buckin' forth. Rackin' buck of glory. No, that's the only one I've got. What Is that got? the only one you've got? Wow, okay. Well, I, I, I piped up one earlier before we came right. out. You told me to save it. All right, save it. Okay, I will. Save it for next time or something. Uh, Graham Hollingsworth uh, tweeted, actually, um, <laughs> hello, Luke and Pete Shaw. Uh, if you want to get in touch, by the way, is at Luke and Pete Shaw. Uh, after, af- and hello at Luke and Pete Shaw. com. Yes, and hello at Luke and Pete Shaw. com. Uh, after uh, North Korea's threats to uh, nuke Guam, I thought you'd like to know what it would look like uh, if they set up a nuke in Guam. Because remember, we had a few weeks ago, we had um, those different, uh, 
computer simulation that would basically show you on a map. I think that was last week, Peter. Was that last week? I, think I, so, I, yeah. I you know, can't yeah. remember. What was, who's the guy you mind about this? Graham, you're contributing to the problem here. Graham. <laughs> the last thing we need is simulations of it actually happening. You know what? That website's crashed today I for obvious has. bloody reasons. What people listen to our show? <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, Guam always reminds me of. Apologies if I told this story, but Guam always reminds me of um, being at Ground Zero at Hiroshima. Uh, I might have even told this on this podcast, the, the, the bloke from Guam no. and his horrible marine friend. I don't think so. He was drinking like an energy drink at like 11 o'clock in the morning, like a, like a vodka energy drink. Right. And he basically uh, recommended, uh, a, and in his words, a titty bar. Oh, you did say this, yeah. Ground Zero. There's, there's, like, there's, there's a... Um, this is my friend from Guam. We're, a, going, we're going to the titty bar when we go to Osaka. It's, this is Ground Zero, mate. You have a bit of respect. You dropped a fucking bomb here, mate. There's a huge amount of... Um, Huge amount of uh, military personnel based in Guam, I think. Yeah, but they've yeah, actually yeah. got. Um, they've, they've got. I think you get automatic U.S. citizen rights if you're born there. But there's no. There's no. It's not recognised as state or anything. Right. Okay. But I think it's got a legislature and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and if you're born there, you are. A, I think you are a citizen. So it is technically, I think, um, U.S. sort of um, what would they call it, sort of sovereign soil. Mm. So yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't need people simulating it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Not, no more simulations. Thank you, Graham. Not in today's uh, heightened and straightened circumstances. <laughs> thank you very much. They probably will blow over by next week. Yeah. We'll We'll probably be fine. Yeah. I mean, the word blow, we don't, we don't <laughs> yeah. really hate, do we? Um, they say, what is it they say on the show of the day? Just go for a pint of the Winchester and wait for the whole thing to blow, to blow over. Yeah. Um, hello to uh, Sam Blakely from Leeds. Uh, he's an A-level um, psychology teacher. Good. I mean, Sam. Sam could be a girl, I guess, couldn't it? Yeah, but I, he I'm, or she. I'm, I'm erring on the side of Sam. Says a lot about a your psychology, that, assuming it's a man. <sighs> well, it's, we're an offshoot of a football podcast, and chances are... We've been to live shows where we've done live shows, and it is 99% male. Yeah. So, you know. As an A-level psychology teacher, and also girls uh, can't be teachers, uh, it's, <laughs> it's been great hearing you talk over the last couple of shows about some of the more fascinating psychological conditions out there, uh, prosopagnosia and also synesthesia. Yes, we talked about that, about yeah. That prosopagnosia suffered by Duncan Bannatyne. Yes. Synesthesia suffered uh, by a lot of famous people we talked about last week. They can smell colours, or they fuck colours. What? What's no. It, what's <laughs> no, you're right. That's yeah, exactly what it is. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, I thought I'd share with you my favourite Cotard's syndrome. To borrow from Wikipedia, this is where the affected persons who have Cotard, it's Cotard, like Marion Cotard, um, Cotillard? Cotillard. Yeah. Cotard. You okay, mate? Yeah, Cotard, I just want to say Cotard a bit more. Basically, the affected person holds the delusional belief that they are already dead, do not exist, are putrefying, or have lost their blood or internal organs. Jesus. I mean, that's a dark thing to go through. Yeah. Imagine that. Essentially, people with this rare issue believe that they are already dead and they can't be convinced otherwise. Often sufferers die of starvation because they don't believe that they need to eat. It's baffling and uh, very rare, so it hasn't been included in the latest DSM or ICD, which are the guidelines that professionals use to categorise and diagnose all non-mental illnesses. Another reason it's not included is it might be a combination or variation of other conditions like schizophrenia. But the idea that you think that your insides are already putrefied yeah it's not great um, it's on, not great but it's just interesting like where the heck does that come from on that guide the references there I forget the acronym mm. um, that's talked about quite interestingly actually in, in, in a decent amount of depth by John Ronston in the book The Psychopath Test mm. I think it's that one I've read a few of his I think it's that Probably one a good chance with that and he said, and he said I, I think I'm right in saying here and people always correct me when I'm wrong which I regularly am so apologies in advance but I think I'm right in saying that book was essentially standardised in around the 50s or 60s right. when a lot of experimental stuff was happening and he seems to intimate in that book or at least imply 
that a load of the so-called mental disorders that exist in that book and are part of the sort of pantheon of or mm. canon of, of recognised psychological disorders probably aren't real anyway. Right, okay. So I think there's only a few that are genuine psychological disorders and the really specialist ones he makes out actually aren't real anyway. Right, or there's they're a, a mixture of a yeah, few the, different Yeah, ones. there's not a big enough sample size, there's not mm. enough people who suffer it, that's, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And also because, um, it's either the psychopath test or the, or the men that stare at goats, one of those, I forget which one, but he talks a bit about how how weird and out there sort of those psychological type ideas were in that period of time. Yeah. In, in The Men That Stare at Goats, he talks a bit about um, like a, a, a US Army colonel who genuinely thought he could walk through a wall and stuff because yes. he thought, well, I'm just not concentrating hard enough. That, that, that sort of... That sort of um, idea that we're on the, we're on the cusp of sort of quite a lot of scientific discovery mm. but not quite there yet and so it let us up to all these mad ideas and it's, I think it's part of that as well and so. also when these sort of things got standardised back in the 50s I presume that like um, psychologists would hear about them misdiagnose or you know talk about it with someone who's suffering something you know dissimilar or, or similar um, and that would kind of create more people you know, showing symptoms because at the end of the day, yeah. we're very suggestible creatures. Exactly, right, so placebo effect as well. That mm. sort of stuff. Uh, to be fair, though, Pete, I have seen you come very close to your insides putrefying on more than one occasion <laughs> in a weekend away, and I'm sure you mate Al has as well. I know. I mean, mainly thanks to John Smith. That's that's that's, that's, <laughs> that's the main problem. I smell like I'm putrefying most weeks. Let there be justice for all. Let there be peace for all. It's for man. You don't understand. Willie was a salesman. Still getting emails simply, about that. Very simply, with hope. Good morning. Right. Um, you cut off the end again. Yeah, you, just, you, I'm never yeah. going to cut it off. Um, that that Maya Angelou thing. Yeah, we went through the whole thing. We started the show, uh, obviously, 11 episodes ago now, and we had Maya Angelou saying that at the yeah. end of the, the Mencarta jingle, and we didn't know who it was. And Never we found heard of it. Was. Yeah, <laughs> you, you said it was a, you thought it was a man. Then we found out it was Maya Angelou, and hilarity ensued. Mm. We've gone back in again, because uh, we, we've taken a few steps back again, it seems, because I'm on Twitter earlier today, I saw one of our followers, I forget who it was, say, well, to me it sounds just like Eddie Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know. I was listening to it then thinking, I wonder if he's right, because I hadn't heard it since I read that. He's not. I don't say anything like Doesn't anything, Murphy. Eddie Murphy. No. Men Carter is, though. We're bringing, <laughs> we're bringing th- th- things of interest, if you like, into uh, into into our own men's encyclopedia, I yeah. guess. What have you got, Peter? Two men in a room trying to build their own encyclopedia. At, At least half our clothes on. Well, it kind of links with something I spoke about earlier on, and we both spoke about earlier on. I'm afraid... Well, actually, I'm not going to tell you what it's about. I'll just start, basically. I read about this guy, fascinating chap, um, called Ramon... I'm going to have problems with his... Uh, I might just call him Mr. Ramon, but his second name is Atagavertia. Atagavertia. If you want him in the encyclopedia, you've got to be able to say his name. He's from Uruguay. Okay. <laughs> from Monty's Video. I've never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ramon uh, Atagavertia. Uh, Mr. Ramon. Basically, uh, on the 24th of December, 1871, Ramon survived a fire and sinking of the ship America. Close to the shore of Punta Espanillo uh, in Uruguay, newspapers reported that the America had been racing another ship into Montevideo uh, Harbour and high boiler pressures led to a fire. There were 114 first class, 20 uh, second class and 30 popular class. That's uh, presumably popular. an apocryphal <laughs> yeah. kind of title. It's for a nice euphemistic uh, yeah. name for that, isn't it? Uh, only 65 passengers survived, but Ramon was one of them. He escaped by uh, jumping into the sea and swimming for his life. Many of the passengers were horribly burned and uh, the episode obviously left Ramon emotionally scarred. On April 10th, 1912, Mr. Artigovetia boarded another ship. Titanic? The Titanic. Huh. So, 
on February the 9th, two months before sailing on the Titanic, Ramon wrote to his cousin, Enrique, uh, showing his hope for a successful crossing. Obviously, this guy is really upset about the idea of getting uh, on another yeah, boat. I like, I like his... I, I admire his chutzpah. I like his Getting back on the horse. Yeah. At last... At last, I will be able to travel, and above all, I will able I will be able to sleep calm. The singing of the America was terrible. Nightmares keep tormenting me. Even in those quiet trips, I wake up in the middle of the night with terrible nightmares and always hearing the same fateful word. Fire, fire, fire. I've even got to the point where I find myself standing in the deck with my life belt on. So he's been on boats before, like in between these two yeah. happenings. But in the same letter, he expressed his faith in the new system of the com- communication, the wireless telegraph. I'd be interested to know how he, beca- how he became... He- came um to be in southampton where of course you know, mm, yeah i mean i presume he must have made some sort of crossing from yeah from uruguay i suppose because that's where that sunk in 1871 uh, basically basically spoke how uh well he says you can't imagine enrique the security the telegraph gives when the america sank right in front of the port nobody answered the lights uh for asking for help no one uh you know could help us the ones that saw us from the ship villa de, de la santo did not answer to our light signals now with a telephone on board that won't happen again we can communicate instantly with the whole world I mean, this is 41 years later. I know. So he's, still, been through, he's been through the mill, this He's chap. been through the mill. He bought the Titanic in uh, Cherbourg. I'm not really sure where that is, but uh, on April 10th, 1912. His cabin number remains a mystery. Cherbourg's in France. Right, okay. So it carried on. It must have done. Yeah. Anyway, he, the, the, the cabin number remains a mystery. It was never designated on the state of assignment list found in the pocket of uh, Stuart Herbert Cave, whose body was later recovered, and little is known about uh, Ramon during the voyage. Apparently, uh, on the 11th of April, he wrote to his friend Adolfo, I closed my eyes and went on board this huge ship. One of the carriers took my suitcase and brought it to the third floor. We went to the dining room. On the 12th, I went through all the corridors to see all the rooms. Some of the furniture was made of tree. The green chairs were very nice. Now I can see Ireland, and now I'm finished writing this letter. Hmm. And uh, on the night of the sinking, he was observed on deck with two fellow Uruguayans uh, just basically having a chat, and he was apparently uh, getting a little bit worried about the situation that was unfolding, and the other two Uruguayan guys were just kind of laughing at him a little bit. Uh, there were two gentlemen, one on either side, leaning, uh, leaning against the balustrade, and from uh, outward appearance, looked more dead than alive. Uh, and basically, he'd from, from reports, this guy basically passed away. So Mr. Um, Ramon and uh, and friends were uh, lost in the sinking, unfortunately. His, you... his body was pulled from the North Atlantic by the Mayke Bedick, uh, Bennett and the recovery vessel chartered by the White Star Line. That's that's what that was. It's an interesting dynamic, the, the idea of him sort of being concerned because he'd been in this sinking before mm. and the other people laughing about it because, of course, everyone thought the Titanic was unsinkable. Yes. So that would have given him this, this mm. false sense of security and, and all that other stuff. Wow, incredible story, that. Incredible, really. And, and the, Yeah, and, and well, that brings me on to um, another favourite subject of mine, Japan. Uh, but unfortunately, this is about the, the the two bombs that went off. On March the 24th, 2009, the Japanese government officially recognised uh, Tsutomo uh, Yamaguchi as a double Niju uh, Hibakusha, which is a... Hibakusha is a, is a person who survived... I think it is just the two nuclear bombs. Yeah, I think we talked about, about this before, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, but Niju, he survived both of them. Um, wow. But, but I, I got more information about him now. So, so uh, Tsutomo uh, Yamaguchi-san, the first officially recognised survivor of both atomic ba- blasts in Japan. The first, and apparently he's not the only one. There was uh, about 100 other ones. Basically, he was confirmed to be three kilometres from ground zero, 
in Hiroshima uh, on a business trip when the little boy was uh, de- detonated. Yamaguchi recalls seeing a bomber and two parachutes and then a great flash in the sky. Uh, ruptured both his eardrums, blinded him temporarily and left him with serious burns. After regaining a sense, he crawled to a shelter to rest uh, after he set out to find business colleagues before returning to Nagasaki the following day. In Nagasaki, he received treatment for his wounds and despite being heavily bandaged, he reported uh, for work on August the 9th, the day that Fat Man was dropped huh. on his town. Ironically enough, that morning Yamaguchi was describing the atomic blast in Hiroshima to his co-workers when Fat Man exploded over uh, Nagasaki, uh, about three kilometres away again. He was unhurt by the immediate explosion, but Yamaguchi did suffer uh, radiation fallout when uh, searching for friends and uh, relatives. Uh, but what I didn't know is that um, in Japan there is considerable discrimination in Japan against people who have survived who survived the bombings, basically. Why? Because uh, they presumed that they, that they might catch the radiation poisoning, oh, okay, yeah. uh, that it might be hereditary and all this stuff, and, 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 and they're, they're not only the Hibakusha, but the children are refused employment. Um, That's uh, terrible. So they, so they keep their, they, they keep the secret that they, they, they went through this horrible situation. Do you remember when we talked about the guy who got struck by lightning seven times and no one would go near him because they were worried they were going to get hit yes. as well? That's mad. Similar sort, of, similar sort of nonsense, really, isn't it? Going back to that Titanic thing with uh, our man, Mr. Ramon, there's a great book about the sinking of the Lusitania called Dead Wake, mm. uh, written by Eric Larson. And he, he, Eric Larson's brilliant. He writes um, historical accounts of things that have actually happened, but he writes it as like a novel. Right. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, it talks all about it. It tells it from the point of view of, of several passengers on the Lusitania, which of course was sunk, which brought the US into the war. Uh, and he tells it from the point of view of the U-boat commander as well. Mm. It's fascinating. It just reminded me of that. Yeah. He also wrote The Devil in the White City, which is brilliant about the Chicago World's Fair and the serial killer existing in the same town. It's cool. Anyway... <laughs> I just want to get it off my chest while I've got it there. Well, fantastic stuff. Uh, well, let's uh, round off the show. Mm. If you want to get in touch, as always, hello at... I sometimes get this wrong, don't I? Yeah. Hello at lukeandpeatshow.com. Wrong. What, what is no, it? No, it's not. It's wrong. Oh, <laughs> don't trick me. Hello at lukeandpeatshow.com. We, we love receiving the emails. We, we do love yeah. receiving them. So I mean, it makes our job very easy. I mean, so and thank all, you for people who have got involved. On that note, but while, we, while we stick around with this, we have a lot of people emailing in and, and messages saying, are you going to keep the show going? Are you going to carry on doing it? We are going to carry on doing it. And if you like the show and you love it, as much as you say you do on the old emails, you need to share it with your friends, tell them all about it, you need to go on iTunes and review it and, and do all that good stuff to keep us up and running because mm. it's really important. We don't have anything else to do with, with marketing and stuff like that. So we Visibility. Do we do rely on you guys. So please do do that or continue yes. doing that and we thank you for all the work you've done so far. Thank you very much. Hello at LukeandPeteShow.com and at LukeandPeteShow on Twitter. All right then, let's get out of here. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in a week's time for more Luke and Pete Show. Say goodbye, Luke. Goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.